Well, you've all seen that picture on the screen. It's become somewhat iconic of President Kennedy sitting at the Resolute desk in the, White, in the Oval Office. And, of course, underneath it is his son, John Jr. Um, it's very interesting if you focus on President Kennedy. I think one of the reasons that picture is so popular, it shows us this extremely powerful person, uh, justifiably maybe one of the most powerful people in the world, the President of the United States, someone that we would say, we'll never meet, we'll never shake his hand. I mean, he's just this high and lofty person. And then you see that son underneath the desk, and you get a whole different picture of President Kennedy. But for what we want to talk about today, I'd like you to focus more on if you were John Jr. Because you see in him no pretense, no, I'm in the Oval Office. He really didn't care. He was at Dad's feet. And for him, everything was fine because he was just there with Dad. And where he was and who his father was in the big picture of things in world politics and power was totally irrelevant to him. Just his relaxed innocence crawling around under the desk with dad. That's the kind of relationship God wants to have with you. And one of the names of God teaches us that. And that's the name we want to look at today. We've been looking at the names of God for June and July and how the different names of God used in the Bible reveal more of God to us. And we learn more about Him, who He is and what He's like. And in many ways, as we've looked at these first two months of names, we've seen the greatness of God. Most of these names have revealed how big God is, how powerful He is, how unchanging He is. He is a rock for us. He's a mountain God. He's a provider God. And we've seen this great God, this cosmic being, who is our God. And in many ways, that was the name, that was the God of Israel when Jesus came to earth. If you want to talk about the Old Testament God, that's who God was, this great and mighty being who was creator, but was also authority and power. He was this God that, in a sense, is distant. It was quite clear in the Old Testament that you didn't just go talk to God. Moses could go up on the mountain and it was changed forever when he came down. Only once a year could the high priest walk through the curtain and go into the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest. No one else would ever have a thought that they would ever encounter God themselves. He was there, and He was God, and we can know Him, and He is our God. But Jesus comes along and gives us a new name for God. I told you a few weeks ago when we looked at Alpha and Omega, there are two names for God added in the New Testament, and this is the second one, Abba. Jesus used it Himself when He's talking to God. In Mark 14, 36... This is Gethsemane. Jesus is agonizing about needing to go to the cross, committed to going to the cross, but his humanness saying, I don't want to go suffer. I don't want to be crucified. Is there any other way? And he is speaking in great honest, honesty, earnestly to God. 
and we hear his prayer. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. When Jesus himself stops to talk to God, he calls him Abba. Abba is actually an Aramaic word. It's not Hebrew, and it's not Greek. You may not know that, but in probably Jesus' home growing up, when the fishermen were just sitting around talking by the campfire, they weren't speaking Hebrew. We all assume that, but they weren't. They were probably speaking Aramaic. It's a similar language. They're related and all of that, but it was just sort of the language of the common people in Jesus' day. And out of that Aramaic language, Jesus called God Abba. Now, let me stop and ask you about your family growing up. And I want you to think about for this for a minute. When you wanted to talk to your dad, and on a good day, not when you were mad at dad or dad was mad at you, but when you liked dad, what'd you call him? If you were going to call him and you, when things were great between you and dad, what did you call him? Maybe it was dad. Maybe it was papa. Pops. Those names that we used were special, weren't they? I have six grandkids. They have a whole range of things they call me, depending on the grandkids. I can be grandpa, I can be gramps, I can be pops, I can be papa, opa. And everyone is a special name. I can assure you, for your dad, whatever you called him in that special time, that was a special name for him. Because it was that term that was reserved for family. It was sort of that closeness that we called our dad. And that's exactly what Abba was in Aramaic. It was a term you wouldn't have used out with somebody else in town. It was a term reserved for the family. When you were talking to your father in some kind of personal, close way, you would call him Abba. Now in Jesus' day, it is a name that no one would have ever used for God. They would have said, that's blasphemy. You can't call God that. And yet here is Jesus shocking people saying, I can. I'm calling him Abba. And when I talk to my dad in heaven, I'm going to call him Abba. Because that was the relationship Jesus had with God. And we study that. We know that he was the son. And God was his father. It was in many ways we would say appropriate for Jesus to call God Abba. But what about us? It's a big stretch from saying, well, it's okay for Jesus to call God Abba. But me and you, me, call God Dad or Papa or Pops or whatever, for me is that personal kind of uh, way to talk to my father? No way. But what I want to say to you today, what the Bible says to us today, is that in fact God is our Abba as well. Not just Jesus, but us. Turn over to Galatians 4 because Paul talks about it. And why we can call God Abba. Paul even uses the word. One of only a few times it's repeated in the New Testament after Jesus used it. And Paul even says why. 
beginning in verse 6, because you are God's sons and daughters, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Now, why can we do that? Because when we become a Christian, because of what Christ did for us on the cross, we are given the very Spirit of God who now dwells in us. And so part of God Himself is in us. And so now we have a similar status to Jesus. And Paul says now we are also naturally able to say to God, Abba. Because we are now some of His children and part of God dwells in us. And it is now appropriate that we say to God, Abba. The conclusion, Paul says, is so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Because we have come to God and said we want to be your children. We accept Christ as our Savior. We accept grace so that we might be forgiven. God says, I want you as my child. I place my spirit in you to to mark to prove as evidence that you are my child. And so Paul says it is right that we call him Abba. Now, if you really think about what that means for us, it's easy to say that's too good to be true. I think especially as we look at ourselves and our lives, our failures, the things we've done wrong, our sins, our character, all of those kinds of things, the more honest we are about ourselves, our reaction has to be, God doesn't really care for us that much. There's no way. If He's really God, then He knows who I am. And He knows what I'm like, and He knows what I've done. There's no way He wants me as His child. And yet, Scripture is full of verses declaring for us, out of people's experience, How much God does love us. And and I think the easiest explanation that we must remember is that this is a love not based on our performance. Not based on how well we've done life. But based on God as our father, our parent, our creator. We are made in his image. And so that's where his love springs from. I want to read three verses. I I want you to take them home. They're in the notes. The first one is from Jeremiah 31. And the prophet Jeremiah is saying, The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. This isn't based on what God will do, but what they have experienced. Israel has experienced that this is how God is. And He loves us with an everlasting love. It doesn't stop. We're not going to run out. What we do doesn't cut it off. It is an everlasting love God has for you. And that everlasting love is directly tied to an unfailing kindness. 
How does God want to approach us? How does God want to deal with us? How does God want to bless us? Out of an act of kindness, an attitude of kindness. Because he has an unending love and unfailing kindness. So would God want you to call him Abba? Yeah. He would love it. I, I, whatever my grandkids or my kids call me, what they call me doesn't matter just to hear it from them. I just love it because I love them. The next verse is in Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. God rejoices over you with singing. You picture a mother singing over her baby as she holds it. What a beautiful picture of how God feels about you. He loves you with this deep kind of love. He delights in you because of who you are. Not your performance, because of who you are. And His love for you is so everlasting. He sings over you. We don't have that picture of God enough. That God loves us so much, He sings over us. It changes our whole perspective on who we are. And our sense of our relationship with God. If we have a God who loves us so much, He sings over us. I love that picture from Zephaniah. Paul has experienced this himself. We know that Paul grew up in an extremely legalistic kind of background where you had to earn God's love. And it was only as you were keeping all of the law that God would listen to you, God would help you, that God cared for you. It was legalism in the extreme and Paul excelled at it. And then he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he got a whole new perspective on how God felt about him. God's love. And it's out of that personal journey of Paul realizing how God really is compared to how he had been taught he was. That Paul writes for us, Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died. I love that word demonstrates. It's, it's, the, it's the language of a science lab in school. You've got a theory, but that theory is worthless till you prove it. We have to be able to duplicate that in the lab and show that this really is not theory. It's a fact because we just did this in the test tube. You're right. That's a fact. That's the language Paul uses here. God has demonstrated, He has proven, so that we know it is a fact that He has this kind of love for us. Because He asked Christ to die on the cross while we were still sinners. Not 
once we paid for our sins, not once we'd stopped sinning, not once we were good enough. And Paul understood that. He had seen himself killing Christians. He had seen how ugly he had become as a person. And still Christ came to him and said, Paul, I want you to be my apostle. And he understood the extent of God's grace and how great his love was. And Paul writes Romans 5.8 out of his own personal experience of how God had proven to him God loved him. I think Abba Father is a word that has a lot of meaning for us. As people who know Jesus and know God as their Father now, it tells us that God wants a personal relationship with each one of us. A close relationship, however you want to describe that, that we are with God on a first-name basis. That's what He wants. That we're comfortable coming into His presence and just talking to Him. He wants to be our Heavenly Father. He wants that kind of relationship with us. He wants to be known as Dad. And that God's love for us is deeply personal. It's not just God loves all people or God loves all Christians. It's that God has a deep love for me. Ask yourself right now, is that, can you say that to yourself and really sense that's true? God has a deep love for me. Scripture says he does. Christ dying for you on the cross says he does. Sometimes we don't see ourselves that way. We don't love ourselves, but God does. God has that deeply personal love for us. And that makes God approachable. Like that picture. I don't know how you picture heaven, or if you do, I hope you have some kind of picture of heaven. God on his throne, or God in a throne room. That's how I tend to picture this throne room. But the invitation from God is that you're one of my children. Sort of like John Jr. God says, come in. And you think I'm making this up? I'm not. We've got to look at a couple more scriptures. Ephesians 3, 12. We may approach God with freedom and confidence if we are in Christ, Paul says. If we are in Christ, with Christ's grace, the result for us, we can approach God freely, with confidence, in the sense that we know how God's going to react to us. It's always going to be a look of love, because that's the kind of love He has for us. That's the impact of having God as our Abba, Father. The writer of Hebrews says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Multiple times in the New Testament, we are not just invited, we are urged to go to God freely, whenever we need, with confidence, because of how much God loves us. 
and because of what Christ has done on the cross to wipe away our sins, that we can go to, Christ, uh, go to God because of grace. If God is indeed our Abba, it changes everything. It's a word of our relationship with God, our acceptance by God, our confidence that we can go to Him at any time, in any need, and we know how He will react. There's times I feel so empty or drained or scared, I picture going to God and he just says here, and I just curl up under his throne or behind his robes to just be safe and know that I have his love. There's times he takes me in his arms and he just holds me because I need that. How in the world can I think God would do that? Because Scripture says He wants me as His child. He wants you as His child. He wants to hold you in His arms and comfort you. He is a hen who takes her chicks under her wing. You're one of those chicks. Scripture tells us that. He wants to invite us under His protection because He loves us with an everlasting love. And that's who God wants to be to you. And if that is indeed who God is, our Abba, then in Him we find our security and peace. We face all kinds of uncertainty in our world. And we can't control our world. We try, but we can't. And at times it seems that it is increasingly coming off the rails. How do we handle the future? Sometimes we have to crawl in the lap of our Abba and say, God, I need your help. But Jesus says, you can do that. Paul says, you can do that. The writer of Hebrews says, you can do that. He would love it. If you would come to him and let him hold you and let him be your Abba. Now, remember that picture where we started? Well, this is where the first two months of sermons get really cool. Because who is our dad? He's Elohim. He is God Almighty. He is the mountain God. He is the fortress God. He is the unchanging God. And that mighty God is dad. And he says, come here. Come here, stand by me. Let me put my arm around you because I love you with an everlasting love. And I have endless kindness I want to show to you. I... I sing over you when I think of you. I sing over you when I think of you. I got this. Come stand here. That's who our God is. 
That's who your Abba is. Let's pray.